Hi, and welcome to my podcast, The Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm glad you found me. I'm Renee Beery, and I love empowering women to take on home projects, both large and small. I have been the only girl on the job site for the past 27 years, and I have seen it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. With my help, I hope you will be able to avoid the mistakes I've seen in the past and go into your project confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your project is as smooth and successful as possible. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Here we are in early September and fall is upon us. And I don't know about other designers, but I unfortunately had to push off new work until the fall because projects that had started even as long ago as winter just were not finishing. And I know we've discussed this before, but the lead times and the lack of work all contributed to drawing out every project I was on. So I am anticipating several projects to start this fall. And I know there are a lot of homeowners listening to me that are about to start projects of their own. So I thought this was a perfect opportunity to go over how to set expectations, both for a designer, how to set expectations with their client, as well as a homeowner and how to set their expectation with a contractor or a designer if they are using one for their project. So let's start with the homeowner. Now, a homeowner comes to every project filled with a variety of emotions. There's fear of all of the unknowns that they know they're going to come across during their projects. And my hope is that going through these steps will will empower the homeowners listening to tamp down some of those feelings that they are experiencing and walk in more confident knowing that they understand more about the process. So the first step I tell everyone is to figure out the scope of work. And I mean in detail. If I meet with someone and they say, I really want to renovate my home. Okay, that tells me almost nothing. And in fact, it leaves so many options open that we can just waste time talking about projects that the homeowner may in fact have on their five-year list and skip directly over the items that they want to tackle right away. So it is really important to take your list, take your dreams, and put them into some sort of schedule, meaning the projects I want to get done now, the projects I want to tackle in two years, and then the projects I want to save for and likely start in, say, five years, whatever the case may be for you. And for instance, I have a lot of clients right now who are moving, right? The housing market is booming. And so this is happening more and more where a client will call me and they will say, listen, Renee, I need to get in in one month. And these are the items I want to get accomplished between closing on the house and moving in. So immediately we have a scope of work and we have a time frame to accomplish this in. This kind of information is critical for a homeowner to share with the team because then everybody's on the same page and seriously can hit the ground running. And when you're talking about short timelines, everybody needs to hit the ground running in order to accomplish any of these projects. 
So let's keep going with this example. So a homeowner is going to close on a home and they need to move in in a month. So they're going to have line items one, two, three, or four that they want to accomplish in that month. Then after they move in, maybe six months down the road, they're likely going to want to tackle another round. And I really do recommend waiting. I know that can be frustrating to hear, but I have been a part of lots of projects where we Mac Daddy out the whole house, come to find once the homeowners move in, they don't live in the spaces they thought they would. So we may have tricked out the family room, but it turns out that the kids all hang out in the kitchen. And now all of a sudden, the kitchen doesn't support the way the family wants to live. So I always encourage people, if they can mentally handle it, to wait. See how you naturally move throughout the home, how your family gravitates to one area over another, and then decide which projects you need to take on and which rooms will be the priorities. So I do know that this can be frustrating because most people say, no, 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 Renee, I want it all done before I move in. And while that is a wonderful luxury, if you can do it, I just caution people that I have seen it backfire, not not on every project, but I have seen it backfire. And I always find that to be a shame. I always joke that I'm too practical to be an interior designer because I hate to do things more than once. You know, you want to do something, you want to do it right in the beginning. And if you've never lived in the home, it can be difficult to figure out exactly how you're going to use each space. So those are really important things to to think about and try to plan for as you're building this list of your scope of work. And then the other is as you're building this scope of work, start collecting pictures of your dreams, of your dream spaces, of of things that you can't seem to put into words. A picture speaks a thousand words. I know it's corny, but it is so true. And everybody seems to have a Pinterest board now. I have all my clients send them to me and all I do is scroll through and I don't even need comments. I can scroll through and start discerning what it is my client likes as well as what it is my client doesn't like. And these are incredibly invaluable, especially in the beginning. When a homeowner and a contractor or a designer start to work together, of course, there is going to be the growing pains of getting to know each other. And if the first phase is, say, a four-week project, that doesn't give you a whole lot of time to get to know each other. So any tools you can use, any images you can provide that will speed up that process so that everybody buys into the same dream that you have for your home is amazing and really should be thoughtfully done so that you're actually conveying the message you want to. And this should be an obvious, but it bears repeating is you need to formulate a budget. And I always get pushback from homeowners on that. And they say, Renee, how am I supposed to know what this is going to cost? Okay. And that is a fair question, but it should not stop you from trying to develop a budget because one budget you should be creating is what you can afford to spend. You may not know to the dollar and cent how much one of the projects will cost, but you should be able to determine how much money your family can spend on the project. And then your contractors and then your professionals will come back and say, listen, we heard you, your budget is $20,000. We think we can do that. Or 
we heard you and your budget is $20,000 and we think that's going to be a little low. That way you can then go back and forth. And again, this is why I'm always telling everyone to do as much research as possible. Start the discussions about these projects as early as possible so that you know. The last thing you want to do is wanting to start the work, say, in December and start calling contractors in November. Now, by the time you've met them and they've estimated the job, it's likely going to be December. Now, if they come back at the end of November and say, listen, your $20,000 budget won't cover everything, well, then you have two choices. You either pause the project and save some more money until you can build the budget that you need to support the job you want done, or you cut back on the scope of work and still start in December. Neither one of those is a really great solution, in my opinion. So the more you know, the more conversations that are had long before the work is going to start, the better off the project will be and the better off you will be. And then you want to know how the process works. Now, this is going to come through communication with your contractor or your designer because they're the ones that do it every day. Now, I'm sure you've had friends do some of this work and you can always talk to them about it. But trust me, their experiences, their projects will not fully reflect your experience and your project. So it is best to have these conversations directly with the people doing the work. So if it's a contractor, then you want to talk to them. You want to get an estimate on time. And if you've been listening to me before, you know I'm going to tell you to add something onto that. Let's say the contractor tells you it's going to be six weeks. I would add two weeks to that. And if they come in at six weeks, it's a bonus. If they come in at eight, which they're more likely to do, your expectations are set in the right place and you're not frustrated and disappointed in the project. So if you're going to be doing work with painters. They will know what their expectations are as far as the length of time they'll need to pull off the work. Flooring, the whole thing, each and every contractor, if you're managing on your own, will be able to tell you. Now, as far as the overlap of these trades, that's something that you're also going to have to discuss with them. So many people think if you're refinishing your floors and it's going to take two weeks, that that means no one else can be in the rooms with those wood floors. Well, that's actually not true. It's true for a portion of it, but not the entire two weeks. So these are things you need to talk to your individual contractors. Unless you have a supervisor managing them for you, you'll have to get these details and lay it out and see who's overlapping so that if one guy tells you three weeks and another guy tells you five weeks, but they can overlap for one Okay, well, then you don't have an eight week project, you have a seven week project. But then again, you're going to add those at least two or three weeks onto it because that's just the way the world works. So these are the kinds of things that a homeowner should be doing so that their expectations are appropriate. They know what they're getting into. They know that they can afford this. They know who the players are and how they're going to get the work done. But it goes deeper than that. You want to know the nitty gritty. If you are running this project for yourself, a homeowner is going to want to know how each contractor wants to be paid. And trust me, that will vary from company to company. And you will have to track that down as well as keep up with it. So if one guy takes a credit card, that's great. The next guy, he may only take personal check. One guy might want to deposit. 
Another guy might want it at the end. One guy might need a deposit as well as progress payments. I mean, there are so many different ways that people want to be paid. And again, if you've listened to previous podcasts, we go into that with budgeting. These are things that you can discuss with each contractor and negotiate if there's something that works better for you than what they've proposed. But these are things you really need a firm understanding for. There is no reason, no excuse to be caught off guard when a contractor needs money and you simply saying, oh, I had no idea. That is the responsibility of the homeowner to know in advance when all of these payments will come so that you are prepared and can properly pay for the work that is being done in your home. So again, these are really important details so that it sets the expectations not only for you as when the money will be needed, but also for the contractors and when he will receive the money because he has his own cost of doing business expenses. He's got payrolls, he's got rent, he's got trucks, he's got materials he needs to buy. There's just so many moving parts you need to really be on top of them. And then really important is you need to determine your level involvement. Some of this is personal, meaning you're going to want to decide how much involvement you actually want, or more to the point, how much involvement you can handle. Let's say you work full-time and you work 70-hour weeks. If you're out of the house by 8 a.m. and not home until 6, chances are you might see a contractor for about 15 to 20 minutes in the morning and not again until the next morning. Okay, that's fine. If that's what your schedule is, then you need to work out something so that that contractor has a way to communicate with you. Is that through text? Is that through phone calls? Is that through email? These are all the things that you need to have known in advance, both for your own sanity, but for each contractor that's coming in and doing part of the work. And then if you are not working, do you want daily involvement? Some clients do. Some clients actually enjoy it. They like to learn along with the project. Some clients, it drives them crazy and they don't want any part of it. So these are the things that you need to have worked out first with yourself and with your spouse or partner, and second with the contractor. And be prepared that the contractor may want you to have more involvement than you're prepared to give. And that's something that you need to discuss directly with them so that at the end, everybody feels that they are going to be heard and seen when that's necessary. And trust me, it will be necessary all along the way during a project of any length. And then let me restate, this form of communication is important. And I trip up on this myself. There are so many ways to communicate with each other, whether that's through phone calls or emails or texts. And I will absolutely admit that I do a combination of those three and it can trip me up because if I'm looking for a piece of information, I'm looking for that detail the contractor told me or the due date for a decision I had to make or a payment structure. And I thought it was an email. I'll spend time looking for it there only to find out that we texted with each other about that information. So I highly recommend, and I am not always great at it because sometimes in the moment you shoot a text out thinking that's going to cover it first, but I highly recommend trying very hard to keep it to one form of communication. And that way, all of the information is sitting in one area and you know how to search and go back and look at it. I actually had a client set things up 
in a really unique way. And at first, I, I honestly didn't know how it would work out, but I kind of like it. She said to me, Renee, if you're going to communicate with me about three separate things, let's say it's plumbing, electric, and furniture, she said, I want three separate emails and the subject line of each email to be specific as to what is covered inside the email. And I said, wow, I think I'm going to blow up your inbox. And she said, that's okay. It just is so much easier to search through the information if it's sent that way. And I'll be honest, the project lasted almost three years. I got into a very good habit of doing it. And when I need to search back information from that job, lo and behold, it is much easier to find it given the fact that we separated each one out. So you don't have to remember, oh, was it in the plumbing email that I talked about the sofa or was it in the electrical email that I talked about the sofa? None of those questions come up. Now, I will say there are tons of emails in this one client folder, but it is very straightforward and it was what worked best for her. So adaptations, coming up with things that you know will work best for you are fine. Put it out there to the team and hopefully they will be open to receiving it. And in fact, I've actually implemented that a little bit with myself. When I'm emailing a vendor about two different clients, I do send two different emails so that they stay separate. And I don't have to remember a month from now which email contained the information about which client. So you see, we all learn and grow from each project. And these are the things, I know it sounds like a lot, but homeowners, if you go through these steps in the beginning, you will have such a smoother job And not just about the work, but your emotions, your expectations will all be in line and your experience will be so much more positive at the end because of it. And for the designers that have been listening so far, these are very similar steps that you will go through with your clients when you're working on the projects. Of course, you're going to want to detail out the scope of work. What phase is happening now? What phase is coming next? And what phase is in the future? These are things you're going to discuss with your clients. And trust me, it's a little easier when a professional is sitting there coaching you through making these selections and how to separate the projects into different phases. And then, of course, you're going to want to figure out what your client is truly trying to describe. And again, pictures speak a thousand words. I really do use this a lot. And back in the day, pre-Pinterest, I would have clients go through design magazines and rip out pages. I find Pinterest is so much more valuable because there's just endless photos, endless images of things that clients come back to me. And, And there's usually one or two curveballs that I find really interesting. And those are the pictures, actually, I speak with the client about the most, not the ones that I expected, not the ones I anticipated, but the ones that sort of go, huh, wonder what they were thinking when they saw this photo. Sometimes it's a, oh, whoops, I didn't mean to include that. Sometimes it's a, ooh, I really hate this. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about it. You know, and sometimes it's says, you know what? I don't know why I like it, Renee, but I do. So those are the things you're going to want to tease out of your client so that you can provide them the best end results for their project. This is, of course, a goal of any designer. And then, obviously, you need to know what the client has budgeted to spend on this project. And again, a client builds a budget on what they can afford. It is up to you 
the designer and the team to take that budget, drill down on the details, and then come back and say whether the budget will support the goals of the project or whether the project needs to be scaled back or whether it needs to be postponed until more budget can be saved. These are things that are just a give and take while you're in the process of defining the scope and then estimating the scope. But a budget is critical. And please encourage your clients to actually come up with numbers. I have been a part of too many conversations where they say, I don't know, Renee, whatever it takes. Okay, I think that is wonderful. And if you have endless resources, then you are incredibly fortunate. But I have worked with incredibly wealthy people. But trust me, when a client tells me they want to spend a quarter of a million dollars, that is truly what they want to spend. Now they may come back and say, but I've got a 10% set aside in case we have overages, something of that nature. But these conversations must be had. And they are uncomfortable at times because you are talking about spending someone else's money. And that can make interior designers intimidated to even broach the topic. But by not bringing it up, by not covering this critical detail in the beginning, you run the risk of heading off in the wrong direction, planning for a project that they simply just can't afford. And if that's the case, then nobody wins. The client is bitter, the designer doesn't get the job, and everybody loses. And and trust me, nobody wants that for any project that they're going to be taking on. And again, you're going to want to know your client's level of interest in being involved along the way. And I've seen it all. I've had clients who literally shadow me, want to know everything about the project, want to know the ins and outs of almost every aspect. I've had clients in the middle who sort of want to be brought up to speed on a weekly basis. And I've had clients who basically say, let me know when you're finished. That's all fine. It all works, but it works differently. So you're going to want to know exactly where your client stands on that. Now, they may change throughout the project. They may think they want total involvement, and then it just gets so intense for them as far as juggling that with whether they're working or children or anything else, and then they want to pull back or the reverse. They don't feel that they are involved enough and they want to ramp up. So be prepared for that as well, because it does run a project differently depending on how involved the client wants to be. So knowing as much as you can in advance, helps a designer schedule out their own process throughout the project. And then like I talked about with the homeowners, you need to discuss billings. Depending on how your design services are structured, this needs to be carefully reviewed with the client in advance so that any questions they may have, any concerns they may have can be addressed before too much time has been committed to this project. And then you need to follow through. So let's say if you are going to bill hourly, then your time bills need to reflect that. If you are going to be billing by project, then of course you need to bill accordingly. Then you also need to explain to a client how you bill, how often you bill, and the types of payments that you receive. And again, these are things that need to be discussed early on enough that the client can fully understand what they're committing to with you on the project, as well as being prepared to pay for the services that you are going to be providing for them. So like I said, designers don't often enjoy this part of the conversation, but it really is a critical piece to the success of any project. And the 
earlier you can discuss it, the better everybody is. Everybody is on board. Everybody's on the same page so that the project starts off on a positive foot. And then in the end, you're going to want to make sure that everybody's communicating through the channels that works best for them. And like I just admitted, I tend to do all three. If I'm in my car, I'm not going to text someone. I might call them. Okay, so now it's not written down. I can't go back in a month and search for the information in that conversation. So I try to take notes after those calls as soon as I possibly can so that I at least have a record of what was discussed and if any decisions were made or questions were asked or follow-up is needed. So designers, if you can try to keep to one or two ways of communicating, that will streamline the process in your office so that if you do need to go back and recheck something that was discussed or a question or new scope added to the project, you have all of that in one place and you're not struggling trying to piece it all together through different forms of communication with texts and emails and phone calls. And I promise I am getting better at that myself, but we are human, but but feel free to learn from my mistakes and my wasted time trying to find tidbits of information that I know was had, but I just don't remember which form it was given in. So these are so many different areas that give both the homeowner and the designer control in the beginning to set up the process, to set the expectations for a very detail-oriented project to run as smoothly as humanly possible. And trust me, even putting all of these pieces in place will not save you from surprises or issues along the way, but it puts you on a path where you're in control of the things you can be in control of. And trust me, that becomes very important as a project goes on. And there are going to be so many elements that you have no control over simply because it doesn't fall in your skill set. So I can't recommend enough taking these steps, whether you are a homeowner running your own project or a designer running the project for a client, go through these steps. And I can assure you, you will feel more confident starting this project, knowing you have all of these pieces in place. So as always, if this brings up more questions than answers, please reach out to me. I would be happy to discuss this further with you. Thank you again for your time today. And I look forward to our conversation the next time. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to me. You can email me or direct message me through social media, and we can start a conversation about what it is you're going through right now. That will also help me come up with other ideas for future podcasts that I can share with everyone, as I assure you, we're all in the same boat together. I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave me a review. If you would like to find out more about me and what I can do, please go to my website, www.devignedesign.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon.